Good morning, everybody. Thank you for tuning in from all over the nation, all over the world, and a very special welcome to our brothers from Stepping Into the Light Ministries. We love you guys, and we are glad to call you our brothers. We have a very special lineup for you today. As you know, we are in a series called Truth, God's Word, Our Stories. And each one of our presenters today is tasked with the, with the job of teaching you and conveying to you how God's Word has shaped, molded, and deeply impacted their lives. And this is a tremendous lineup today. We've got Samoa Asigal, we've got Tyler Nyans, we've got Dominic Mendoza. They're all bringing a powerful word from God and from their personal life. And I pray that today's episode, today's session, today's messages uh, will, will speak deeply into your heart. So take a moment, settle your heart, get rid of all distractions, and focus on what God has got for you today. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Samoa Asigal, and I have been attending One Family Church since 2016. I am also the leader of the prayer team at UCD Family Church. It was the evening of August 2, 2004. It was just another ordinary day. I had returned from school to find my dad preparing a meal for us. See, my dad had three daughters, and I was one of them. And he called us his angels and likened it to Charlie's angels. Since his name was Aru, everyone in the neighborhood knew us as Aru's angels. This was kind of corny, but it was also cute in a way. So my dad prepared a meal for us, and I ate that meal and rushed off to go about and to an event I was attending that day. After that event, my friends and I and my sister went towards home, and as we approached home, I saw my youngest sister running out of the door with tears streaming down her face, and she pleaded with us to take my dad to the nearest hospital. See, moments before our arrival, my dad had actually collapsed. We did not have a car at that time, so we rushed over to the neighbor's house, and we asked if they could take my dad to the hospital. And I remember lifting my dad's helpless body onto the truck and trying with all I could to resuscitate him. As we drove him to emergency, I remember nurses and doctors and medical personnel attaching all this little instrumentation on his body to revive him. In fact, my sisters and I were in a state of shock. We were in pain and we were in confusion because just moments earlier, my dad was actually alive and, and talking with us. We did not even know that we would be spending the evening at an emergency room. Much of the story is kind of blurred in my head because it's interesting how your mind selectively blocks out certain traumatic events in your life. What I can remember though is that as this chaos was going on all around us, I remember my sisters and I standing beside my dad's bedside and crying out to God with every ounce of desperation, crying out in anguish to bring my dad back to us again. 
See, have you ever been in a similar situation like what I just described, where you're in pain and anguish and hopelessness and you just don't know what to do? Have you ever been in a situation where you have cried so much that it in fact gives you a headache or you have literal pains in your chest or you feel that you have cried so much that you could actually be sick? Now, this moments of, of deep anguish and despair and grief can be from experiences in our life when we lose our loved one, for instance, or when we go through a breakup um, because there was infidelity or trust issues involved. It could be from a diagnosis of a serious illness, or it could be from um, hearing from the doctor that you could never bear a child. In other situations, these experiences could be from losing a job, or even experiencing financial difficulties or experiencing uncertainty in the future. For others, these experiences could be from experiencing bullying or abuse in all forms, or being a part or observing social injustice that is currently occurring right now. So we ask ourselves, what do you do in moments of great distress? What do you do in moments of great pain and anguish? I would like to share to you today a few stories from the Bible of people who went through times of great pain and distress. In the book of Samuel, we meet the character of Hannah. Hannah was married to Elkanah. Elkanah had two wives, in fact, Penina and Hannah. Penina had children. Hannah had no children, and this caused Hannah so much grief. The inability to not bear children or have any kids actually caused her so much distress. And that not only caused the distress, but Penina actually taunted Hannah. So Hannah was also bullied. Every year, Hannah and her husband would go to the house of the Lord and they would offer sacrifices to the Lord. And Hannah spent moments and times even just crying out to the Lord to hear her prayer on giving her a child. In fact, scripture says that she cried inconsolably. She was in so much distress. She cried so much that, that she probably lost her voice at that time. She even cried so much that she didn't even have tears. And scripture says that when Eli was actually observing her, he noticed that, that her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And he actually thought that she was drunk. She wasn't drunk. She was a woman with a despairing spirit and kept pouring her heart out to the Lord every time she visited the house of the Lord. And the story ends beautifully as God heard her plea and gave her a child by the name of Samuel. In Psalms 34 verse 15, it says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Many of us don't want others to see us cry and we put on this strong front to show everyone that we're okay. Well, let me encourage you that God sees your cries, he hears your cries, even when they're done in secret or behind closed doors. Your cries are just as loud and audible, even when you cannot even speak a word. Just like Hannah, God knows your pain. He sees your disappointment and your hurt. And, he, and whenever you cry out to him, he rushes to your side, ready to minister to you and comfort you and bring you peace because he loves you dearly. Another story in Mark 10 is of blind Bartimaeus. 
when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus had, was leaving Jericho, the city where, where Bartimaeus was from, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When the crowd heard Bartimaeus call, they rebuked him and they commanded him to be still. But this caused Bartimaeus to cry out even louder. And Jesus heard his prayer. He actually stood still and commanded him to come forward and he healed him. In this story, crying out refers to speaking audibly with great emotion concerning an urgent need and being unashamed to express your deepest anguish and despair and grief to God. Just like Bartimaeus, you do not have to let outside forces, whether it be people or social media or society or the pressure of trying to hold it together, discourage you from being vulnerable and crying out to God. In fact, God invites us to use this form of prayer to communicate that we desperately need his mercy. In Psalms 116 verses 1 and 4, it states that I love the Lord for he has heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Then it says, the cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Going back to the story of my dad, we sadly lost him that day due to a heart attack around 6 p.m. on August 2, 2004. My dad was pronounced dead the moment we um, arrived at the hospital. God never brought, us, brought my dad back, even though we pleaded and we cried and we prayed for up to three hours. So you're wondering, how does my story tie in with the stories of Hannah and Bartimaeus, whose prayers were answered when my prayer wasn't even answered? Well, let me tell you one more story of a person in the Bible. It was 3 p.m. on a Friday evening. Darkness loomed over the earth. As Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out with great anguish, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To the average onlooker, this may look like God deserted and, and abandoned his own son. Other commentators in the Bible state that the depravity of humanity's sin was so heavily placed on Jesus that even God turned his back away from his own son. But we know that that's not how the story ends. On the third day, heaven rejoiced as the tomb was rolled away and God raised his son from the dead. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. See, God not only raised his son from the dead, but he also gave him a name that is above every name and that every knee will bow in heaven on earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, even though we lost my dad on August 2, 2004, I know that the story does not end there. Just like Jesus' story, even death could not stop the power of God from working. And I know that one day I will be reunited with my dad in glory. And the only tears that are shed are ones of joy. 
This is the comfort and the hope that I have in Jesus. And the fact that I am here telling you this story is testament of God's grace, God's goodness, God's faithfulness, and his mercies. In fact, my family no longer sees August 2, 2004 as my dad's death date, but we actually see it as his birthday into heaven. I do not know what you're going through right now, but I can assure you that God does. These moments of distress and pain and anxiety can become so overwhelming, but I can encourage you from the stories of Hannah as well as Bartimaeus and the story of Jesus Christ and my experience that you can cry out unto God. God hears your cries, whether they are loud or silent. God sees your cries. God welcomes your cries. God empathizes with your cries. And when you cry out unto God, your tears become so precious to him that you invite his power into any situation that you are currently experiencing. See, what would it be like if we truly embrace a life of crying out to God? I believe that we would truly remain humble, acknowledging our dependence on God, and we would recognize that true healing, peace, and comfort are from the Lord. Crying out to God would also enlarge the capacity of our hearts to receive his goodness and mercy and strength, especially in those times of despair, but it would also allow us to give that to a world that desperately needs it. So that is my encouragement for you today. You may be going through times of distress and pain and anxiety especially now with the pandemic and social injustice and everything that is occurring right now in this world. But I want to encourage you today to call on the name of the Lord. He welcomes your prayers. He loves hearing your prayers. And when you call on him, he rushes to your aid to comfort you. Wow, I am so thankful for the powerful message from Samoa Asigao. Uh, I want to introduce next to you our production slash student pastor, Tyler Nyans. Good morning, One Family Church. My name is Tyler Nyans, and I am on staff as the student and production pastor here at One Family. It's my honor and privilege to serve with our dream team, to serve high school and middle school students, and to bring you the beautiful production that you see every Sunday morning. As I was thinking about this sermon, I kept coming back to a quote from my childhood, which says that a ship in the harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are for. To me, it, cap it encapsulates the idea that God is calling us out into the deep places of life, that we were made for more, that we shouldn't just sit in the, in the shallows or on the sidelines, but get into the game and trust God. I was thinking about our current events and those themes from that quote, and I was drawn to the book of Ezekiel. I love the book of Ezekiel because I feel that it applies to our times, and it's a little bit obscure. I mean, come on, when's the last time you heard a sermon preached out of the book of Ezekiel? <laughs> For a little bit of context, Ezekiel is an Old Testament prophet who is preaching around the time when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem and sacked the city. It's crazy because they took 
a bunch of the people and carried them off into exile, leaving only a small remnant in Jerusalem. Ezekiel was one of was among the people who were taken off into exile. And so he was preaching to these people whose whole worlds had been turned upside down and they were in deep trouble. They couldn't go to the corner corner grocery store that they had gone to growing up their entire life. The markets and the squares and the places where they used to gather were far away in a foreign land. The people that they knew, the friends that they had, the people who would come and gather around their table were no longer there. And their businesses and homes had been utterly destroyed. I think for a lot of us, we're feeling right now that our world has been turned upside down. And so Ezekiel is a book that can speak to our time. But for those people, the problem was even worse. Because in chapter 10, Ezekiel shares a vision about the presence of God in the temple. And normally that would be a place to seek comfort and refuge. But this vision is of the presence gathering itself together and heading out the door of the temple and leaving Jerusalem. The one thing that the people usually counted on, and that was God's presence in the temple, was leaving. God has left the building. They find themselves in deep, deep trouble and in a shallow place with God. So I ask you, if you feel like that this morning, if you feel like you're in deep trouble as we battle this global pandemic, and as we struggle with the uh, issues of injustice and racism in our society, and more personally, many of us are struggling with depression and anxiety, loneliness, and the simple fact that our, all of our schedules have been turned upside down, the normal places that we go to find comfort and find refuge and strength are no longer there. And so, from this depressing place in chapter 10, I wanted to look forward in the book to see if there was a way forward or to see if there was any hope. And luckily, Ezekiel doesn't end with chapter 10. It goes on. And in chapter 47, there's a ray of hope as God comes back to the temple and is doing something new. So as we find ourselves in deep trouble in this season and in a shallow place with God, I want to offer to you some hope from, the, from a book where God has already done marvelous work. In chapter 47, verse 1, Ezekiel shares a vision of an angel giving him a tour of the new temple. And this is what he writes. The angel brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw that there was water coming out from underneath the threshold. As the angel went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, which would be about 1,500 feet. And then he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee-deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was waist-deep. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. I want to draw out three principles for you this morning. And this river, it represents the river of life. 
The river, wherever it goes in the desert, brings plenty. Fruit trees spring up along its banks, overflowing with fruit, and fish are teeming in its waters. The people who live along the banks of this river are well provided for, cared for, and protected. This is God's river of life. And out of this short passage, I want to give you three principles for traveling along this river from a place of deep trouble and shallowness with God to a place of deep life and depth with God. So the first principle is that we have to find a guide. The second one is that we have to measure our progress. And the third is that we have to allow ourselves to float. So finding a guide. You'll notice that Ezekiel is not on this journey by himself. In fact, the angel is the one who's really directing the journey and leading him along it. If Ezekiel had tried to set out on this journey by himself, he would have looked down at the threshold of the temple and seen the small trickle on the sidewalk and given up. But the angel knew better. The angel knew that if he would continue down the river of life, he would come to a place of depth and life and flourishing. And so for each of us, when we find ourselves in deep trouble, we need to find a guide who's already been through this type of scenario. So for me and Hallie, we're currently parenting. Claire is about to turn two, and so we're in the midst of a season of potty training. And let me tell you, we've gotten ourselves into deep trouble from time to time. But it's been encouraging to be able to reach out to other parents in our church who have children that are a little bit older than Claire because they've already been on this journey. They already know what's at the end. And they've given us tips and wisdom and pieces of advice that have helped us to continue on and have hope. If you're in a relationship right now and you feel without hope, you feel like you're in a shallow place, I would encourage you to reach out to someone who's wise and who's walked through many types of relationships so that they can encourage you to keep moving forward. And lastly, if you're struggling right now with your faith, you're asking God, why are you allowing all of these bad things to happen? 2020 is crazy. Then I encourage you to reach out to a Christian who's a little bit more mature than you, who's maybe asked some of these hard questions, struggled with them, and found satisfying answers, and still trusts God. I want to encourage you to find a guide so that you can get out of that place of deep trouble and find a place of deep life. The second thing that I want to pull out of this passage is that the angel uses a measuring line. You see, the angel knew that Ezekiel wasn't ready to just dive headfirst into the deep part of the river. He'd be swept away. He would freak out. He wasn't ready for it. And so he sets attainable goals that Ezekiel can reach, first ankle deep, and then knee deep, and then waist deep, until he finally is ready for the river where the deep water is. And so for this season where we've tossed all of these balls in the air and all of the structures that we're used to are coming down, we need to set aside some time to reevaluate the passion and the goals that God has put in our hearts so that we can lay out a new path again and start to measure our progress. A couple of ways that I like to measure goals that I set myself, one is very visual, and I use a calendar, and I actually mark off the days where I, where I achieve or I progress towards a goal in my walk with God. It gives me a great uh, encouragement when I see a big field of X's, and it helps me complete the next day. 
Maybe I want to spend more time in prayer. Or I want to get coffee with a specific person who's hurting. What has God put on your heart in this season? Hold yourself accountable and use a measuring line so that you can make steps towards that goal that God has for you on the river of life. The last thing I want to share with you is a little thought on where Ezekiel ends up at the end of the journey. You see, he starts in deep trouble in a shallow place, and he ends in a deep, wide, flourishing river. And it's crazy because to get to that, the end, takes a lot of faith. When he's in the shallows, when, his, when the water's only up to his ankles, it's easy to change direction or to get out of the river. You can just walk to the side and step out. It doesn't take a lot of faith to be only be ankle deep in God's life. But when the river is rising, to your ne- rising above your neckline and sweeping you along, it takes a lot of trust to hold on to God and allow Him to direct your life. The third principle that I want to draw out of this passage for you this morning is that sometimes you have to allow yourself to float. Notice that Ezekiel ends in the river where it's deep. He begins in the shallows where it's only ankle deep. And when it's only ankle deep, you can walk around at your own leisure. The current really doesn't matter much. You feel it, but it's not really directing you. And when you want to step out of the river, you just walk to the side and step out. When you get to the deep end of the river and you're submerged up to your head and your feet can't touch the bottom, you no longer have any control over your direction. And you're going to have to trust God to lead you where he wants to go. It takes a lot of faith to jump into a river that deep because the current is powerful and you don't know where it's going to take you. But I want to encourage you this morning. If you want to get out of a place of deep trouble and shallowness with God, Enter the deep part of the river. Continue down the journey into where God has life and flourishing for you. So I want to encourage you this morning that God was not surprised by 2020, that he has a plan for you and that he loves you. I want to encourage you on your journey down this river and I want to encourage you to keep taking steps forward. So come and dive in to the river of life. Thank you. Thank you, Tyler Nyans, for bringing that word to us today. And our last presenter today is Dominic Mendoza. Dominic is one of our worship leaders here. Uh, Take a moment, clear distractions, and focus in on a word from Dominic Mendoza. Who am I? Buenos dias, mi familia. My name is Dominic Mendoza, and I am both Mexican and Italian. Growing up mixed has probably been the most interesting journey I've ever been on in my life, but the biggest blessing. I have these vivid memories of Sunday spaghetti dinners at my nonna's house. Uh, followed by uh, my abuela having homemade tamales. <laughs> Ooh, man, she makes the best. 
Uh, or, or Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving with the Chicago Italians because I have to make that distinction. And we're all around the table and we're making pasta from scratch that we eat along with other food. And then I go over to my abuelas for arroz con pollo. And now I'm married to a mestiza Filipina and my life is even more mixed than it used to be with adobo, pancet, Tagalog, the Philippines, you name it. I live a mixed life. Now, uh, being mixed has its shared sufferings too. Uh, like for example, uh, I am too light-skinned for some Latinos, so therefore not Latino enough, and then I'm too Latino for some Italians. Or my Spanish is okay uh, to some people, or my Spanish is too Spain-sounding for others. Or I'm at the grocery store buying food. Somebody comes up to me and says, what are you? What country are you from? To that, I simply just say, aquí. Maybe you're not mixed like me, but every single day I have to look into the mirror and I look and I ask myself, who am I? You might not be mixed like me, right? But you can heavily resonate with that question because it's a universal one and it's tied to our identity. Um, for example, recently you might have had a job interview or, or filled out a job application. You killed it on the application, you get to the interview, you bring it all that you got, right? Only for it to be three o'clock in the morning and you're asking yourself questions like, uh, did, did I do enough? Did I say enough? Am I enough? Um, who am I? Who am I to think that I can have this job, right? Or, or maybe it's within the context of your family or relationships. Um, you might be uh, a firstborn son or, or a firstborn daughter, and you're like, who am I in the midst of this? Or you might be white, black, Latino, um, you name it, Asian. And you're asking yourself the question, who am I in the midst of the cultural context of my family? Uh, who am I if I'm, if I'm married, if I'm divorced, if I'm single? Uh, is my family uh, communal, individualistic? Who am I? Thankfully, there's a story in Scripture about a man who's just like you and me. His name is Moses. Moses now is most notably known for leading the Hebrews out of Egyptian slavery towards the Promised Land. But Moses had his identity problems, y'all. Moses, just like you and me, had to wrestle with the question, who am I? You see, a little bit about Moses, um, he was a bicultural man. He was ethnically a Hebrew minority who grew up in the luxuries of Egypt and, and the privileges that that, that came with. Um, he also didn't have a Hebrew name. He, he had an Egyptian name. So he was never really Hebrew enough, and he was never really Egyptian enough. Now, one day, Moses saw uh, an Egyptian slave driver beating a Hebrew nearly to death, and he intervened and actually killed the, the Egyptian in the process. Now, the next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting one another, and he, and he steps in and tries to intervene. He's like, aren't we all family? Aren't you guys brothers? And they look at him and say, who are you to, uh, to, to, to be appointed over us? Who are you, Moses? Who do you think you are? So Moses got afraid, and he ran away and lived with the Midianites for 40 years. And during that time, he he got married, he, he started tending sheep, and then one day, uh, 40 years later, 
uh, he sees this burning bush off in the distance. He approaches it because it caught his eye. It ended up being God taking the embodiment of a burning bush, and God says to Moses, Moses, I am calling you to go back to Egypt to lead the Hebrews out of Egyptian oppression. To which Moses reluctantly replies, whoa, whoa, who am I that you would send me to Pharaoh uh, to lead uh, the Hebrews out of Egypt? To which God replies, Moses, I am who I am. Now, why would God answer Moses in that way? Why would, why would God not directly answer Moses' question and instead answer in a way that talks about himself? What is God doing? Well, you see, God knew of the insecurities that Moses had. He, he knew of his past failures, right? And he also knew of the failures that were going to come with Moses' future leadership. So God didn't want Moses to get all caught up with figuring out who Moses is. Um, God wanted Moses to, to get the source of his strength and identity, not in himself, but in God. Thus, the answer to Moses' question, who am I, would ultimately be discovered and realized in the answer to the question, who is God? Now, in the gospel, this long, long-awaited answer finally arrives. And it's not in the form of a burning bush like, like Moses had. It's actually in the form of a manger where there's an infant, and that infant's name is Jesus. Now this Jesus, being fully God and fully man, knew that you and I would have the same question and we needed to know who God is, right? And so just as God said to Moses, I am who I am, Jesus walked amongst us and said things like, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. I am more than enough for you. Basically, what Jesus was saying, whatever you need, I am. I got it, y'all. I am who I am. So maybe you're wrestling with questions like ethnic identity like me. Maybe it's the job application or job interview scenario. Maybe you're trying to find your place in your family right now. You don't know like really like all these shifting things to navigate through. Jesus is looking to you today and saying, don't neglect those things, mijo, but rather bring them to me. Don't make them the source of your strength and identity. Look to me. Let me be the source of your strength. Let me shower you with mercy, grace, love, justice, truth, whatever you need, and then some more. Find your identity in me when you look to me and ask me, who are you, God? When Jesus went to the cross, he stretched out his arms and he said to humanity, here I am. Hermanos y hermanas, today, ahora, I invite you to bring the complexity of your identities that you are holding and bring them to the feet of Jesus and ask God, who am I? Who am I, God?
But I want you to expect for God to reply to you. Primero, mijo, mija, sit down. Let me tell you who I am. Segundo, let me tell you who you are in me. 